Good morning, church family. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, looking at verses 6 through 13. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seats, you will find this on page 1036. 1036. And as always, I'll begin in a word of prayer, and then we will consider the text together. Let's bow for prayer now. Our Lord, we are so grateful to be here on this Lord's Day. We thank you for it. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word and to consider this portion of it. And we pray that you would give us understanding. Pray that you would give us a receptivity to its message. Lord, I pray that you would be working on the hearts of every individual here. That each one of us might be prompted by your spirit to examine ourselves, to consider whether we are in the faith. And if we find that we are not, Lord, would you use this text to drive us to faith and repentance. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as a full-time pastor, I do a lot of traveling, which means that I also get a lot of use out of my GPS. And most of the time, that GPS works great. I get exactly where I intend to go. However, once in a while, there is a glitch. And I can remember one time just a couple of years ago, I was trying to get to a woman's house up in the Charlotte area, never been there before, so I was using the GPS program. Now, I remember I was traveling down a dirt road surrounded by cornfields, and out of nowhere, my GPS prompts me and says, you have arrived, okay? I stopped my car, looked all around me. There's no house, there's no driveway, there's no barn, there's nothing. So I concluded either this woman lives in a cornfield or my GPS has led me astray. Now, thankfully, I am a little bit familiar with the Charlotte area, and so I was able to make my way to this lady's house a few minutes late, uh, but I did make it nonetheless. Well, sometimes a faulty GPS can lead people even further astray. So back in 2020, a Montana newspaper ran a story about a glitch on Apple Maps. And what happened is that people who were wanting to go to Yellowstone National Park were actually being directed to a high school party called Yellowstone Days, which was being held in a tiny town called Driggs, Idaho. And hundreds of summer vacationers made it to Driggs, Idaho, thinking that they were headed to Yellowstone National Park. And one local resident made the best of it. He ran around town with a can of spray paint, painting the rocks yellow, so that when these vacationers would pull in and say, hey, where's Yellowstone? He could say, there's a Yellowstone right there. Sometimes, sometimes taking the wrong road can be deadly, though. Last fall, Inside Edition ran a story about a North Carolina man who was driving home from his daughter's birthday party when his GPS led him down a road that was supposed to have a bridge on it. The GPS didn't know that the bridge had been washed out more than nine years prior. The man ran off the road, plunged to his death. Now, friends, in the Bible, we learn that there are two spiritual roads. There's a broad road and a narrow road. The broad road leads to destruction. The narrow road, though more difficult to travel, leads to life. And the message of the Bible is that we need to get off that broad road. It's the wrong road. There's no future for us there. We need to get on that narrow road. 
We need to pursue life. And as we turn our attention now to Revelation chapter 14, we see this is also the message of today's text. Now, we've been in the book of Revelation for some time now, and just to remind us of the immediate context, back in the prior chapter, we were in the Great Tribulation. Okay, This is that future time of salvation and judgment immediately preceding the inauguration of Christ's earthly kingdom. And we learn that during this time, the devil is going to empower two individuals, the Antichrist and the false prophet. And together, these two individuals are going to establish a kingdom that spans the world over. It will be a kingdom that unites governmental, economic, and religious power all into one. And these men will demand absolute conformity in their kingdom. They will demand worship of the Antichrist. They will demand loyalty to the kingdom. They will require every citizen of that kingdom to receive a mark, a mark that publicly identifies them as loyal citizens of the kingdom. Friends, this will force everyone in that day to make a difficult choice. Will they go along with Antichrist? Will they take his mark? Or will they follow the true Christ? There will be no other options for them. Today's text shows us now how God will undertake to induce people to take the right path, to make the right choice. And specifically, we learn here that God is going to send three angels during the Great Tribulation period. And each of these, me- these angels will have a message from God sent to, to encourage, to compel the world's inhabitants to take the narrow road not to take that broad road of Antichrist. They will encourage all people to take that narrow road by means of repentance toward their sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, as we look at this text together, I want you to understand that the same choice confronts every one of us right now. Friend, as you sit in this seat this morning, Understand that you are on one of two roads. You are either on the broad road that leads to destruction, or you are on the narrow road that leads to life. God would have you repent of your sin, to trust in His Son, and to get on that narrow road if you are not there already. Now let's turn to today's text. Let's see this for ourselves. We begin with the message of that first angel. That's found in verses 6 and 7. The Apostle John is writing here, Here's what he writes. Then I saw another angel. Another angel. Let me just pause there to remind us that the book of Revelation is filled with angels. That's why John says another angel. Here's just the next one in the sequence. This angel was flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. Now verse 7 And he said with a loud voice, here's the angel's message, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Okay, friends, so here is the first angel. And his message is an invitation to saving faith. An invitation to get off the broad road leading to destruction, to get on the narrow road. You can see his message is stated with a number of of exclamations. First, he says, 
fear God, fear God. That means to come to God with a newfound sense of awe and reverence. And then he says, give glory to God. That means repent of your sins, trust in him, come under his lordship. And then he says, worship God. That means start living your life for God's pleasures and purposes. See him as the creator and the ruler of all things. Come under him with joy. See, this is a message which is an invitation to saving faith. And you see, the angel delivers his message from the air. That's because he wants everyone on earth to see him. He delivers the message with a loud voice. That's because he wants everyone to hear him. And it says he delivers it to every nation and tribe, language, and people. That's because the gospel invitation is for all people. And friends, isn't this amazing that even in the midst of the great tribulation that God should still be dispatching messengers calling people to faith and repentance? Think about what time we're talking about here. Now, by this point, the church of Jesus Christ has, has already been on the earth for millennia. It was on the earth. It was scattering over all the nations of the earth, saturating the world with the gospel message. One-on-one -on -one communication through proclamations from the pulpits of local churches. The message went out in print. It went out online. It went out on television, on radio. The world was saturated with the gospel. And still these people refused to receive it. And then God took his church home. We saw that in the early chapters of Revelation. Then God began dispensing his judgments. The day of the Lord commenced. And the judgments began rather mild, and then they began to increase in severity. And what God was doing there was, was trying to shake humanity out of its complacency. He wanted them to understand that time was short. His cataclysmic judgments were just on the horizon. It was meant to turn them to him in repentance and faith. Yet they still would not receive his invitation. And so then, Revelation chapter 7, God raised up an army of evangelists, 144,000 of them, sent them all over the world to preach the gospel, reaching primarily the people of Israel, but also the other peoples of the world. And still, still they refused to receive the message. But God was still not finished with them. Now he sends his angels one by one to fly overhead to declare with a bullhorn, as it were, the message of the eternal gospel, to call people to fear God, to glorify him with their lives, to come to him as the owner of all things and as the giver of life. My friends, our God is a God of grace. He's a God of grace. And friends, this gospel message is being held out to you right now as well. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how many times you've heard the gospel message and rejected it. It doesn't matter how great your sins are. God still holds out his gospel invitation to you right now. Because that's the kind of a God he is. He is a God of grace. If you were to come to him right now in repentance and faith... He would reconcile with you. He would adopt you as his child. He would put you on that narrow road leading to life. God would do that for you. But at the same time, my friend, we must never presume upon God's grace. Because look what the angel said there in verse 7. 
He said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because, here's the motivation, the hour of his judgment has come. Now remember again, this is the context of the great tribulation. This is the day of the Lord. This is the time when God is judging the world of unbelief. So already these recipients of this latest gospel invitation are a people under judgment. And God is telling them the climax of these judgments are on the horizon. You do not have much time left. So please, please come to God. Give Him glory. My friends, the Scriptures tell us that God is a God of grace. And that it is because of the grace of God that He has delayed His judgments this far. But please, don't make the mistake of thinking that because... God has given grace all of these ages that it will always be this way. Don't think that you have years and years. Don't think the world has eons left before these judgments fall. No, the Scriptures tell us that God has appointed a day in which He will judge the living and the dead. It also tells us that we don't know precisely when that day will be. It could be tonight. It could be tomorrow. Or it could be a thousand years from now. The scriptures don't tell us when it will be. And for that reason, we should take the gospel invitation seriously the moment we hear it. We should respond to it with repentance towards sin and faith in God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We should get ourselves off that broad road and put ourselves upon that narrow road by God's grace because we truly don't know when that judgment will begin. My friends, we should not cling to any vain notions that we can somehow escape God's judgment. And that takes us to verse 8, to the message of the second angel. The purpose of this second angel is to further induce us to get off the broad road. Look what he says. Again, John is writing here, Another angel, a second followed, that is, followed the first angel. And he said, Fallen. Fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Now, throughout the Bible, the word Babylon is used both of a literal place and as a symbol for that portion of humanity which is organized in rebellion against God. And it's used in both of these ways in the book of Revelation too, both as a literal city, a literal kingdom, and also as a symbol for all humanity that will not bow to God. Friends, those who belong to Babylon can be tempted to think that Babylon is invincible. They can be tempted to think that it's invincible, even untouchable. That's why the angel calls it Babylon the Great. If you're a part of Babylon, part of that portion of humanity who has not yet bowed to the gospel of Christ, you might look around and you you might say, look how numerous we are. Look how powerful we are. Look at all the years that have passed and God has done nothing to us. He has let us go on era after era. 
Look at the people of God, you might say. Look how they're scattered about the world. Look how weak they are. Why would I want to give up Babylon in exchange for that? Why would I want to stop being a part of Babylon's kingdom and become part of the people of God under these conditions? Babylon can seem so strong when you're a part of it. It can also be very enticing to belong to Babylon. Notice that the sins of Babylon are compared to wine. Wine is something which looks attractive, it tastes good, and it can hold you. It can enslave you. That's what life in Babylon can be like through a combination of temptation and coercion. She can bring many to her side and then hold him there. Babylon is very good at convincing people that they ought to revel in their sins, not repent of them. She's very good at convincing people that God is a very small being, if he is there at all, that he is not a being to be concerned about. And the unregenerate can feel very safe in the arms of Babylon. They can think, who is God to stand up to us? Friends, the message of this second angel is that Babylon, that entire godless system, that entire system is marked for judgment. Don't think that there is any safety in Babylon. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. My friend, if you've been delaying your response to the gospel because you are not convinced that you need to take God's warnings seriously. Because you are convinced that, that by clinging to Babylon, you are clinging to something strong. It's time to shake yourself free of that thought. My friends, Babylon is insecure. She is going to fall. The hour of judgment is coming. Fallen is Babylon the great. Respond, then, to the invitation of the gospel. Get off that broad road. Get away from Babylon. Get on that narrow road and find life. And my friends, if that isn't enough to get you on the right road, then let's consider the message of the third angel found here in verses 9 through 11. Now, these are some of the most frightening words you will find anywhere in the Bible. Again, the Apostle John is writing, he says, And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast, remember that's Antichrist, and its image, and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, verse 10, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. So you feel secure in Babylon? You think that no one, certainly not God, can touch you there? Well, heed the words of this angel. He is saying, listen, all of you who are clinging to Babylon, because you think doing so is putting you on the winning side, understand the hour of judgment is coming. Babylon is marked out for judgment. And all who choose to drink the wine of Babylon that person will also be made to drink the wine of God's wrath one day. They will be forced to drink it right down to the dregs. 
You know, friends, in all of human history, there has only been one person that has been able to drink from that cup and live. And do you know who that is? That is our Lord Jesus Christ. Scriptures tell us that God the Father sent His Son Jesus into the world to make a full atonement for our sins. He came to drink the cup of God's wrath in our place, and that's precisely what happened at the cross. The Scriptures teach us that at the cross, Christ voluntarily took upon Himself the full weight of all of the sins of all who would ever believe in Him. He drank the cup of the wine of the wrath of God right down to the bottom. That's why he cried out on that cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was truly a God-forsaken man at the cross because he was enduring God's righteous judgments for our sins. Christ had committed no sin. He did not deserve God's wrath. He took it on for our sakes. And he endured hell at the cross for us. He died on the cross and he was buried. But then the third day he rose again, proving the all-sufficiency of his atonement, proving his power over death and hell. And now he holds out this offer that all who will flee to him in repentance and faith can find a full pardon in him. But friends, for all the rest, for all who decide not to come to Christ... They will have to drink this cup for themselves. And they will not be able to bear it. Look at the second half of verse 10, down to verse 11. What does it mean to drink the cup of God's wrath? Here's what it means. It is to be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And verse 11, And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. So whoever forsakes the gospel offer, whoever refuses to receive the gift of that atonement made by Christ, whoever decides to drink the wine of Babylon, this is the cup they will also have to drink. This is what the judgment of God looks like. This is what it means to say that Babylon is fallen. Divine judgment means fire and sulfur and smoke and restless misery that goes on forever and ever. Which brings us back to the truth we started with. The road that you choose will determine your destiny. You choose the broad road. You are choosing your own destruction. Choosing your own destruction. What a dreadful thought that is. But friends, thankfully our text does not end on a dreadful note. It ends on a very happy note. This takes us to verses 12 and 13. The broad road leads to destruction, but the narrow road leads to life. Look how the section concludes. Here, then, verse 12, here's a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus... Verse 13, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds 
follow them. Now, what a contrast we have in this text. First part is for those who are on the broad road, those who identify with Babylon, who bow to the Antichrist, who take his mark. For them, all that awaits is divine wrath. But now, on the other side, those who take the narrow road, those who identify with the true Christ, for them, when their time comes and they die, it is not wrath, but blessing. It's blessing. The passage reads, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Friends, that word translated blessed here, that means to be in an enviable state. It means in your person, you are happy and contented. It means in your surroundings, you're in a place to be envied. So that is the end of the narrow road. Blessedness. And our text offers two reasons why that state is blessed. It's because that soul will find rest and reward from God. Rest and reward. Let's take those one at a time. First, our text says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, that they may have rest from their labors. Now, friends, the journey down that narrow road is not an easy one. Jesus himself said it is hard. That is to say that life under the tyranny of Babylon is difficult. Not only is there the daily struggle for survival... And then the internal struggle against our own sinful natures. But there is also the pressure from Babylon itself. There's the pressure from unregenerate loved ones to abandon the narrow road for the sake of family peace. There's the social pressure from Babylon with the the threat of cancel culture ever looming large before us. And then in many parts of the world, there's the reality of persecution and martyrdom. And yet we have this reason to persevere. Our text tells us that every bit of it is temporary. The hardship, the the pressure, it's all temporary. When we pass from this life into the next, there will be rest, which is to say the end of toil, peace within and without But then there's a second blessing noted here. That is reward. The passage says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, for their deeds follow them. See, friends, the Scriptures teach us that not only does God save us by His grace, but in His grace He also empowers us for a life of good works. And in His grace, God remembers every good work that His people perform And then when they pass from this life to the life to come, God rewards them for their good deeds. These rewards that God hands out, by the way, they're not like the rewards we get down here. God isn't handing out trophies and ribbons and lapel pins up in heaven. You know, when I was a kid, I won all kinds of awards for swimming, for for Awana. You know where all those awards are now? They're in a landfill. I enjoyed them for a time, and then I threw them away. They don't mean anything to me anymore. Well, God's rewards are not like that. God's rewards are everlasting. The joy of them never runs out. His rewards include things like this. First, resurrected bodies that are now glorified. They are free from the presence of sin and pain and sorrow. Friends, that will never grow old. 
Another reward is a place of meaningful service in his everlasting kingdom. And friends, that's why this text says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. The end of their journey is life. Life in the form of resurrection and a kingdom and glory. Now, in summary, today's passage makes clear there are only two roads. There's a broad road and a narrow road. There's a road that leads to destruction and a road that leads to life. Now, I must ask you, which road are you on? Which road are you on? And what is the end of the road that you are on? Is it life or is it death? Is it time for you to make a change Maybe you have rejected the gospel invitation over and over and over again. For years, you've forsaken it, thinking that life is better in Babylon. Why would you want to throw in your lot with God's people? Well, perhaps now you can understand why. It's because the hour of judgment is coming. Because Babylon is fallen. Because there's nothing but everlasting misery at the end of Babylon's road. Maybe it's time to respond to that invitation. Here's what that would mean. It would mean repenting of your sins. Instead of reveling in them, it would mean forsaking them, going going God's way now, rejecting your own way. And it would mean faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, taking hold of that all-sufficient sacrifice for sins. It would mean coming under His Lordship, repudiating all that Babylon represents. It would mean heeding the words of John 3.16, which says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. It means believing that promise and acting on it. That's what it would mean to make a change in your life, to move from one road to the other. You know, it's inconvenient when we take a wrong turn on a summer trip like those poor travelers who wanted to go to Yellowstone. Sometimes it's even tragic like that North Carolina man who fell off the bridge. But How much worse to place your eternal soul on the wrong road, to place it on a road that you thought was safe and secure, only to find the end of that road is destruction. My friend, won't you respond to the gospel offer? Won't you offer a prayer right now, this morning, maybe even from your seat, pleading with God to forgive you for all of your sins, to claim your trust in the atonement of Christ, and to make Christ your Lord from now on? Won't you do that? And if you're a Christian already, do you not see here the motivation to persevere in the faith? knowing what lies in store for us, rest and reward. I'll end with Isaiah chapter 1. God says to us, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. The mouth of the Lord is spoken. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now. Our Father, this is a very sobering text reminding us that there are only two roads. 
one leading to death, one leading to life. Lord, we pray that you would give us the desire and the ability to respond to that gospel invitation that we would come to fear you, to give you glory, to become your children, to get off the wrong road, to get on the right road. Lord, enable us by your grace to do that. And Lord, help those who, who, may, who may do that today to then come to me or to Pastor Scott so we can help them with their next spiritual steps. And Lord, for those who have already come to you in repentance and faith, those who are struggling to persevere because the pressures of Babylon are so great, Lord, would you give them the extra strength that they need, help them to keep going just one day at a time, one step at a time, that they might reach the glorious end for which you've appointed for them. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.